Welcome to Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. In a world full of chaos, this is a podcast about the people making positive change in the world, using bold thinking to transform businesses and themselves. And we need that at the moment. We were just talking a little bit earlier amongst ourselves here about our love of dogs. And uh, and then George is coming in now. So it all started with a bamboo dog bowl. George Bramble co-founded Sustainable Prep brand Pico Pets 12 years ago. But as you can imagine, the business has grown dramatically over the past year. And as people in their millions have made pets part of their everyday lives during lockdown. So welcome to George and thank you for joining me today. It's great to be on, on the show. Thank you very much for having me. That's brilliant. So let's start with the most important questions. I'm assuming you are a dog owner yourself. Yes, um, I've got a, a black Labrador called Tarka, who uh, is chief product tester at Beko. Um, <laughs> uh, the benefit of working in, in pet businesses is that obviously we, we welcome as many dogs into the office as possible. Um, so Tarka's here today, and I apologise in advance if she barks um, in the background because uh, we have a, a warehouse b- below us, and, and any time one of the warehouse team come in in their high-vis jacket, um, despite the fact Tarka's known them for years, she barks. She doesn't like hybrid jacket. So, um, yeah, I apologise in advance. Maybe there's any business idea in that. <laughs> yeah, something that's high vis but not to the dog, yeah. <laughs> uh, tell us a bit more about Beco Pets and why you founded it. Um, yeah, that's a um, good question. So um, back in, I think I founded uh, Beco back in uh, 2009 and um, I I'd studied geography and environmental sciences at university, uh, brought up with dogs, um, spent a lot of my childhood holidays sort of out and about and in remote places like the Outer Hebrides. So I kind of built this this love for, for the environment and dogs. Um, and I'd left university and I was, I was actually working in um, the, the drinks industry um, for a big multinational. And I knew that I wanted to start my own business and I was just looking for an idea. And it was just off the back of a sort of big recession uh, in 2007, 2008. And so I was kind of looking for a business that, um, you know, was fairly recession proof. And um, yeah, dogs and pets, uh, certainly that, and um, also pandemic proof. Um, but uh, it, I, I always knew I wanted to do something that was causing as least impact to the environment as possible. And so we looked at the pet business and thought recession proof, and no one was really focusing on environmental uh, products. So that's kind of how we started. And our, our mission then, which is still the same today, is really to create the best possible pet products whilst doing as little harm to the environment as possible. Yeah, it sounds, it's a it's a really great ethos. So how do you actually do that? I mean, how do you actually create environmentally eco-friendly dog products? What does that mean? Well, uh, I think there's, at the moment, there's obviously a lot of sort of, um, a lot of buzzwords like eco-friendly flying around and and the reality is if you're in business you have an environmental impact so it's kind of um, understanding that and doing as little um, as much as possible to reduce that but for example you mentioned the Beco bowl that we started with which is uh, basically a bowl made from bamboo so so we go to chopstick factories and get the offcuts of the bamboo chopsticks that are going to be burnt or thrown away and we use that powder we we grind it down into a powder and compression mold it into a material essentially a bioplastic we mix it with cornstarch plastic and we create a, a product 
um, that's made from uh, renewable materials, will last like an oil bowl, but is even dishwasher friendly. So it's just a direct replacement to petroleum plastic. So that's an example of the kind of thing we make. We also make soft dog toys out of recycled plastic bottles. Over 50% of plastic ever produced has been produced in the last 15 years. And I think if you took all the plastic produced each year, it would cover, it would be something like five rubbish bags for every foot of coastline around the world. Um, there's that much. So it's a crazy amount. And actually, if it's out there, the good thing to do is reuse it. So we use recycled plastic bottles to make soft toys wow. for dogs. So with something like uh, Beco Pets, you started out with an idea. You wanted to work in pets. You've got obviously an amazing love for pets. And the, these bamboo balls are brilliant. So how do you literally start off something like that? You have a great idea. Did you start by like having doing like little shows and selling products? How do you get from you know where you were to where you are today in 12 years? Um, yeah, so we're, we've, we've grown fairly organically, so kind of haven't taken big investment, didn't have a sort of really structured business plan that we took to investors and said, lend us a half a million pounds, or whatever, and off we go. We sort of got out there, used savings. My then business partner was an uh, industrial product designer based in the Far East, and he, he was um, sourcing products for other companies. So we, we found materials and batteries and um, we thought, well, let, let's put a bit of money into it. I, I was still working a full-time job. And so uh, we bought the product and in the evenings I'd be packing orders. And I remember one incident, um, I think our first order of bowls arrived in the UK and we, we'd found a customer to sell them to. We had 18,000 dog bowls going out the next day and, and they arrived. And the dog bowls arrived and the stickers were on upside down. Um, because obviously the, fa- the factory workers couldn't read English. And so um, we had 18,000 bowls with the stickers upside down. So we, we, we had to, um, my business partner and myself put, had, um, were working in a family warehouse and we had to unsticker them and re-sticker them. But of course, we thought we'd get through 18,000 dog bowls in 48 hours working through the night and quite quickly realised after eight hours that we needed some help. So we grabbed um, some workers from the warehouse next door and pleaded whether they could work overtime for us. And we we managed to get them um, done just in the nick of time and sent out. But those are kind of, yeah, lots of sort of cutting corners and trying to, to make it work. But I guess those are times you look back on and um, fondly now but at the time it was hard work <laughs> I wonder how many stickers you could manage to do each in an hour <laughs> I know I know it was and it, and it was worse because you put peel the sticker you had to try and peel the sticker off without ripping it and then take off the residue glue and then put it back on I mean it was awful yeah yeah I love stories like that when you're talking to entrepreneurs it really grounds you doesn't it um so one of the reasons we um, started this podcast was obviously looking back at last year. It was a really difficult year for many businesses and people. And we and we were talking with the crowd and we were saying, oh, wouldn't it be great if we did something around bold thinking, you know, where actually you look for the helpers, it's new ideas, new inspirational things. So what does bold thinking mean to you as an entrepreneur and with a Beco um, business brand? Um, well, I think over, it's been really tough um, through the pandemic for, for many businesses, obviously, and um, for many startups. Um, but I think there's been loads of great stories of businesses pivoting, whether it's a restaurant that started doing home delivery and then actually realised that they've got a great business now for the back of that. And 
think bold thinking for me is not necessarily having a revolutionary idea. I think a lot of people you speak to who I would love to set up my own business, but I just haven't got a good idea. Um, it might be something that's already out there. It's just finding a way to do it better. Um, but but bold thinking for me is, is really just getting out there and having a go. And in the early days, you talked about how did we get the sales? Yeah, we, we went to shows, but we also packed the car up with product and drove to Europe. And I did a road trip for two weeks just because none of these distributors would take my phone calls or if they you'll always get through to a gatekeeper. So I'd literally turn up. Um, or I'd call them and say, oh, I'm just down the road. Do you mind if I pop in? And of course, business owners find it hard to to uh, turn you down when you've driven um, a thousand miles to see them. And, and that's the kind of bold thinking in a way. Just get out there, be brave, um, try things. And and um, in my business, I tried sort of the, the, the old cliche, fail, but fail fast. We we kind of do follow that mantra. It's like, I want people to have a go. I want people to make mistakes. It's just learn from those mistakes and move on. And I guess in small business, a lot of in the pandemic, I guess some of the smaller businesses have done better because they've been able to change the way they're doing things, be dynamic, try things. And I think that's what, for any budding entrepreneur, I just protect your downside, um, but equally go for it. If you think you've got an idea, just go for it and give it a go. Um, you know, the way I protected my downside is I was basically moonlighting. So I was working a, a full day and then working at night. And I, I, I think you can still do that. Mm. That was when you first set the business up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So some long, long shifts. So working a, well, an eight, eight nine hour day and then, um, yeah, sort of then working on the business in the evening. And but the benefit of that, yes, it's very tiring, but ultimately, um, if things don't go well, you, you haven't lost your job. What's been your boldest idea for Beco beyond founding it? And how did you make it happen? Uh, boldest idea um, beyond founding it. Um, what have we done recently that's been quite bold? Um, I guess um, <sighs> lots of things. I guess quitting my job, but um, the, there was a big move in 2000. 2016 where um we basically had toys and accessories and poop bags and that was kind of our main business so you know compostable poop bags toys and accessories and um there was an opportunity you know we always wanted to be a lifestyle brand and a lot of our consumers and customers kept coming to us and saying would you launch um a dog food brand and or a dog food range and we said oh absolutely not we don't want to do it and, and we looked at the investment and we had to spend a fortune on packaging you had to make i think at one stage we had uh, 10 years worth of 12 kilo uh, bags for our dog food because obviously you had to do sort of a twenty thousand unit run and um we weren't selling that many units to start with but and and we were worried about dog food because we we're going up against the big guys we we're basically going up against mars and unilever and people with very deep pockets um but we did a load of research and basically realized that all the dog food brands were focusing on natural well not all of them but a lot of them were focusing on natural and they were focusing on high meat content but no one was really focusing on where that meat came from um so food provenance traceability whether the animals had a happy life before um before being produced into dog food and so we decided actually you know we would go for it and um it cost a lot of money and at the time it was fairly touch and go because it it took up a lot of our cash flow 
Um, but it's been the best decision we've made. And now we've grown sales month. We keep growing sales month on month. I think last year through the pandemic, our sales of uh, our wild boar recipe grew 237%, which is um, amazing. Um, and yeah, we're really pleased we did it. But um, at the time, it was quite scary um, because of, of the fact that it took up so much cash flow. But I think if you believe in the concept or the idea, then going for it, and pivoting in what you make as a business because it would have been easy just for us to say oh we'll just keep doing toys and accessories and that's fine but actually the customer if there's demand for it give it a go yeah and i think as well with so many people having um puppies in the last year and a half because a lot done i i basically when we had our dog about a year and a half ago i got a dog trainer in for an hour mm. and uh, she what are you feeding him and i sort of like named a few like big brands and she's like oh <laughs> shouldn't be doing that shouldn't be feeding him this I feed my dog raw chicken and like raw hams and raw this and I'm raw that and I suddenly went into a frenzy I thought oh my god I'm killing my dog what am I yeah. what should I yeah. do it's like if it's easy when you've got a new baby because it's all really simple but a new dog it's like where do you get the advice from and I suddenly think I've been the last six weeks I've been feeding him like rubbish according to her <laughs> it's yeah it's, it is. And, and that's the thing. I guess the problem is in the pet food industry is there hasn't been the regulation that's say in baby food. Um, so there's some manufacturers that have got away with producing really poor quality food for a very long time. Um, now, I'm pleased to say that it's changing completely. And there's lots of good dog food brands out there. But what we found through the pandemic, which is really interesting, is of those new pet owners, dog owners, and there's a lot of Londoners. Eighty, there's been an eighty-four percent increase in pet ownership, and of of those pet owners, over fifty percent of them are uh, millennial and Gen Z. So they're younger generation, pre-kids um, buying their dogs, and and what we found is they really do care. Um, they don't just care about the quality of the product, but they also want to know. You know, they buy into mission-led brands, so they want to know. Um, where the ingredients have come from um, and what that environmental impact is potentially or whether you're giving back as a business. So it's the new the new dog owners, I think, are actually an easier dog ownership for us to sell to because they kind of believe, I guess it's a, essentially the baby boomers who are the older generations that are less into that mission-led um, brand. Mm. So that's a really good point um, to talk about next. Is what do you think people want or need for brands today? Um, well, I think um, I think people are looking for transparency and honesty um, in brands. I think that's there's a big shift to that, and I think people will question what a brand's environmental impact is, regardless of what they do. People will want to know. You, know, you need to be thinking about that. I think people, well, certainly within the pet space, are looking for quality. You know, I, I wonder whether we're kind of going full circle where in the past, you know, my parents' generation, post-war, they were brought up on rations. And um, so they really did buy quality. So in the old adage, buy cheap, buy twice. I think consumers are sort of moving back to that. So they buy a product and they look after it. And we're moving away from this disposable consumer culture. That's what I'm seeing, or I'm hoping anyway. Um, so hopefully we'll see that as well. Have you found with any of the brands you work with that, that, that any, any patterns in that? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a real, um, we're working with quite a few um, outdoor pursuits brands at the moment. They're all about repair and recycle, Mm -hmm. as well as new ranges, as well as sustainability. And I think you're right. I think the last year is made everybody think about their own footprint, their consumption and how they they live and, and the meaning. And I think fundamentally the meaning of sort of health and, and time. I was speaking to one of my friends the other day that is really um, chief um, staff officer in one of the massive companies in London. And she was saying that this whole period is just people are at home more with their dogs and their kids. They're walking more. They're not working less. They're just working smarter than the big commute to London. So I think there's been a massive shift in brands and thinking. Yeah, and fitness and well and and well being and yeah. Well, I think one of the great things that's come out of the pandemic, and actually I have to say I've been not guilty of not carrying this on, but I'm hoping people will they picked up a a hobby or a sort of pursuit or something outside of of work because they have that extra time um, without the commute that they carry that one afterwards. Um, and they I remember the first lockdown I. I started exercising a lot more, but um, I haven't. Sadly, <laughs> now I'm back back in the office. Apart from dog time. walking, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Although I've, I've, I've sort of been running with Tarka um, three more a week, um, and um, yeah, we're both fairly lazy. So I mean, it, it's funny if it, Labradors. You see these dogs that pull their owners around the common, and that's what I was kind of hoping for. But Tarka tends to sort of lollop about. 10 yards behind me going, taking shortcuts, uh, isn't very helpful. (laughs) So we've got a ginger cockapoo who's got more energy than a little stick of dynamite. I mean, he literally, (laughs) he's just, I mean, I can't run to keep up with him. I just have to watch him go and delight in his his little um, deer-like movements around the park. Or maybe I'll have to, yeah, I think, yeah, cockapoos and cocker spaniels, they just keep going and going. You see them. Pulling their owners around the corner. Yeah, he's got to I mean, I think the whole sort of pet industry has been a real, um, I think you're right, it's been a lot of reinvention. I think people are loving animals. They really want them to be part. They're absolutely, you know, man's best friend. So how optimistic are you about Beco? And, and, you know, what's your next steps as a brand and business? Um, Well, I'm I'm very excited about the future. I think in the last um, it's been well over ten years since we started, and it was it's been a, a bit of a struggle. Like uh, to start with, we were producing a bamboo dog bowl. I remember being at our first show, and a lady came up and said, "Oh, um, I love the look of your bowls." And I said, "Oh, fantastic!" And she's handing over the money, she's buying a couple of bowls. And I said, "Oh, they're made from the offcuts of chopsticks, bamboo." She said, "Oh, why would I want to buy a bowl made from bamboo?" She looked at me as if I was crazy. Why? Why would you want a plastic replacement bowl? And and I think fast forward ten years, obviously the market's shifted towards looking for plastic replacements, looking for products like that. And I think as a result, like I think we we've grown very quickly over the last two or three years. Um, and but we've still got loads of great plans that we want to launch in dog treats, or we're going to launch in dog treats later this year. Um, and I want to try and continue the growth. I, I'm not, we're not. I'm not looking for a quick exit. I'm not looking to sell Beaker in the short term. Um, I'd love just to be sort of known as a brand within the pet industry that's sort of pioneering products that, that cause less harm and um, yeah, and just making you know dogs and yeah, leaving I guess a legacy. Like I want Beaker to be here in the next twenty or thirty years. A kind of a business for the future. So continuing to build the business. Um, 
yeah, with with more products, but also uh, just just making sure that we we feel like we're scratching the surface. Whilst we're a lot bigger than many brands, we we're still we're not a global player yet. We're not not a pedigree chum. <laughs> it's interesting. I was chatting to you about a friend of mine that um, over the weekend that's helped. Um, about a year and a bit ago build um, a pet brand and I said oh how's a pet brand going and she said you know what we've got a lot of investment we had an amazing website brand was really cool the name was really cool we designed all these lovely little outfits for dogs and stuff like that little coats and jackets and things and quite expensive luxury brands the only problem is there was no story Mm. and I think and there was no community and I kept saying I'm really concerned about that because suddenly this very slick brand hit the market and went to various shows and stuff like that and everyone was like so what's this about and how's it been going and how's it all working? And I think people are really looking for the narrative and the story behind it. And and I said to her, what's happened now? She went, well, it's just been totally shelved. And I said, it was interesting. I was chatting to you today about Beco Pets been going for 12 years. And I said, I get the impression from, from George that it's been like a, a slow burn that's just caught fire and just been amazing over the last year and a half with a vast amount of story behind it. So what do you think it is for a brand to thrive because it feels like you've got a lot of great ingredients there which you've looked back and joined the dots on but actually you know you're there's a lot of stories and history there with the Beco brand well I think well I think that's absolutely key is having a story that's compelling um and really engaging with your community so in in, in this day and age it's actually a lot easier because you've got social media channels um uh but also look Noel's I was talking to someone the other day about what do I want to get back to? And I was like, face-to-face meetings, whether that's trade shows, consumer shows, going to see customers, because great that we can have a call over over a, a, a virtual meeting or what have you, and you can meet lots of people, but it doesn't really replace sort of getting out there and meeting a customer and talking to them and engaging with them. And I think your first customer is your most important customer and just make sure that you keep building one by one and, Whilst it's been hard for us, I, I'm really proud of the way we built the business off loans and savings and not selling out to private equity or yet. Um, I'm not saying that we, we won't ever, but really doing it um, the hard way. It's kind of, I guess, given us that, um, as you say, the, the story and the authenticity um, that you can't just buy. Um, so... Yeah, but, the label sings uh, is a classic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fact yeah, you thought I know. you could do it. I, I, I know. It's, uh, there, there's a few more of those stories, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember one of my friends, she, she had this idea to do these little doors, fairy doors, when you put them in your skirting boards. And it's a door the fairy goes through, and she got her first order through, and she got like 5,000 doors in her lounge. <laughs> <laughs> we still walked in and thought we could do with all these bloody doors. Fairy door, fantastic. <laughs> My daughter would love a fairy door. And that's what I said to her. I said, look, you know, we can all, as creatives and brand builders, which is what, you know, Honest does in, in principle, I said, but you've all got to have a story, a passion, a legacy, an honesty behind it. And suddenly just jumping on a bandwagon people are just like really how's that all work you know we need to make it credible yeah and i think i I don't know maybe we'll we'll see the world change but there's been a lot of businesses it seems to me like not making money 
but growing very quickly become the be all and end all. And I just the worry with that is one in twenty businesses will do really well, and the others won't. And and if it's, it's a dangerous world to be in, so I just think you know, growing slower is not necessarily a bad thing. Like um, because you can learn by your mistakes, you can. You grow there there's a lot to be said for being around for a long time and building a community so yeah i i think i think that's uh, the way hopefully um business should be going don't be don't think you need a million pounds to start a business you can do it on a shoestring if you do that and and you grow and you are passionate about what you do there's ways of funding business other than necessarily taking big lump sum and trying to grow it to x million over one year yeah, I've I've heard that story many many times. I think one of the uh, big cosmetics brands uh, sold about a year ago, and I remember the entrepreneur saying, "Oh, everyone said to me it's an overnight success, but it's a twenty-five year overnight success." Yeah, yeah, very true, very yeah. true. I don't, I, don't, I mean, unless it's, you're in the tech world, there's very rarely an overnight success. And even then, at least two years of hard work into it before anyone's heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, listen, George, thanks for joining us today. Um, really, really enjoyed that. Um, and thank you to listening to Bold Thinking Entrepreneurial Stories Honestly Told. If this episode has got you thinking, share your comments on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram, or you can contact us at hellothehonestbrand.com. Join me next time to hear from somebody else who's making positive change in the world. And, and thanks, George. I really love the Beco Pets. Really one of my favourite brands. It's been great to talk to you and I really appreciate your time. It's been a lot of fun. 